Aeneas, if you would, take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews is toward the end of, of the New Testament. And then here in a few minutes, after we look at Hebrews chapter 10, we'll go over to a book called Ephesians, which is also in the New Testament. You'll just have to turn back to the left a little bit or scroll down on your phone uh, to, to get there to Ephesians. If you got a bulletin as you came in at the beginning uh, of the time together this morning, if you got one of those bulletins, on the back are some sermon notes that if you'd like to follow along, if that's helpful for you. Uh, to look at, you can, you can look at that. You can see that we're in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling We Tunes. Uh, so, not Looney Tunes, not iTunes, but We Tunes. Uh, what does it look like to be a church who wants to live and operate according to God's word in a way that we live as a church in the 21st century, and then we bring in that question of music? And maybe the broader question of worship, what does it mean to worship? Understanding that worship is way more than music, worship is way more than what we do at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, but there's still something that God's Word says about this gathering time. What are we trying to do when we gather together like this and worship, when we gather together and sing? And so for three weeks we did some background. Uh, the first week is that we don't want to be driven by envy of what someone else is doing, by what everybody else is doing, and we're driven by envy. It's so easy to go that direction. The second week, that we need the Word and the Spirit. God's Word and the Holy Spirit are not in some competition. They work together for the glory of God, and so we need Word and Spirit. And then the third week, that we operate under the New Covenant. That because of who Jesus is, that transforms our lives and that transforms the way that we do church. And then we've moved into what does it look like to live out that worship as a church? And we use three words for this, up, in, and out. Last week we talked about up, how our worship is focused on God. When we worship, we are putting our eyes and our hearts directed toward God. And this week, I want to sound like I'm contradicting myself. Because this week we're going to talk about how worship focuses us inward. Worship is able to cause us to focus inward on our own lives, and it also causes us to focus on one another. Now this is not a contradiction. Worship simultaneously puts our eyes up on God, but it also turns our eyes inward on our lives as individuals and on our relationships with one another. Because Jesus said, was it, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no true love of God, First John says. No true love of God without love of brother, without love of one another. Those two things can never be separated. If I truly love God, it's going to impact the way I love one another. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about if you are worshiping, if you're gathered together for the purpose of worship, and you find out, remember that you have something against a brother or a brother has something against you, go and make that relationship right before you continue with this act of worship. There's no amount of volume in music. There is no amount of fog out of a fog machine. There's no number of hymns that we could sing that will cover over broken relationships, toxic relationships in a church. It doesn't matter how loud you sing, it doesn't matter what that looks like, that is not true worship if there are 
broken relationships, disunity, toxic relationships going on in church. And so we want to think about this morning, how does worship draw us closer to one another, and how does worship impact our lives, propel our spiritual growth? What does that look like? We're going to look at those two passages, one in Hebrews and one in Ephesians. So let's go to Hebrews first. Hebrews chapter 10 Starting in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, or the day drawing near. Okay, so what's going on in those verses in Hebrews 10 there? It begins there and it says, let us consider. The word consider is the idea of pay attention. So in other words, what the author is going to talk about here is something that requires intentionality. Whatever's going to be mentioned here doesn't happen by accident. It's something you have to give your mind to. It's something you have to give your focus to. Let us consider. Let us focus on what we're about to talk about. Let us consider what? Well, it depends on the translation on the, on the next part, but let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider how to spur on one another. It's a word that in the original context can either be negative or positive. Negatively, it's a word about annoying or irritating uh, someone. And so what a great spiritual lesson that the people who most annoy you are what God uses for your spiritual growth. I mean, that's just something about real life being worked out in the context of church, that the things and the people that most annoy us are the things that propel our spiritual growth. But it's not just the word for annoy, it's also a word, and probably the simplest is the word motivate. If you just need to substitute a word to, to kind of see it from a different angle, it's the idea of motivate. When I was driving this morning to, uh, to Emmaus with my two youngest kids, they were asking a little bit about the sermon and we were talking about this. And so I told our five-year-old that it's kind of like the phrase, giving somebody a kick in the pants. Uh, when you, let us consider how to give one another a kick in the pants. Uh, how do we motivate someone to do what? Well, it says encourage them or spur them on to love and good deeds or love and good works. Those words right there are designed to sum up the Christian life. So let us focus on how we can give each other a kick in the pants in order to really live out the Christian life. We need to figure out what it takes to motivate one another. How do you do that? Well, it says in the next phrase, it says, not neglecting to meet together. The word neglecting there is the word for forsake or abandon. It's not something came up one Sunday and I had work or something came up and we were traveling with family. This is the word for abandon or neglect or forsake. Hebrews 13, if you turn over to Hebrews 13, you'll find there where it says around, I should have written this down, it's around verse five or verse six, that God does not forsake his people, that God will not forsake us. And so if you serve and follow a God who does not forsake or abandon his people, then the flip side of that is that his people will not forsake and abandon him. And how do they do that? They don't neglect 
to meet together. They make this part of their habits. It's part of their customs. It's something that they're known for. It's ingrained in who they are. Many of you who grew up in a time where you went to church multiple, multiple times a week use the old joke about how when you were young you had a drug problem because your parents drug you to church. Uh, this is the idea that it's part of your culture, it's part of your ethos, it's part of your way of life is that you're not neglecting to meet together as is the habit or as is the custom of, of some people. Instead though, so what's the flip side of that? Instead, you're encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is this idea of all things coming to completion. So you live in a time where there's an urgency about this. We don't treat as a light, flippant thing what it means to gather for worship. There's, there's an importance and an urgency to this, the purpose being that you're encouraging one another to keep going. That's the phrase I was trying to get to. You're encouraging one another to not give up, to keep going. I've probably mentioned these statistics before, but a person is five times more likely to remain involved in a church family if they're a part of a Sunday school group or a small group than if they're not. So in other words, if you track someone statistically over a certain amount of time, that person is five times more likely to remain involved in a church gathering if they're a part of some sort of small group Bible study because you have people to encourage you. You have people to hold you accountable. You have people to say, hey, keep going. You have people to give you a kick in the pants if you start to say, I don't know about this. I'm just going to give up. Students, when they graduate from high school, and this research is coming out more and more and more, but students, when they graduate from high school, one of the main determining factors of whether or not they remain engaged in church is whether there is an adult, not their parents, that stays involved in their life. So if they were connected in the youth group with an adult, not their parents, who continues to contact them once a week, once every other week, the chances of that student staying engaged with their faith goes through the roof. It's because they have someone to encourage them. They have someone who says, I care about you. I care that you keep going. I want to motivate you to live out your faith. One of the keys here is the word consistency. One of the things going on here in Hebrews 10 is this idea of consistency. We live in a world and we've been, sorry about that, we live in a world and we've been trained in such a way that if I'm not inspired or entertained by something, if it isn't something that just really grabs me, I'm done with it. I just move on to the next thing. And you know how this plays itself out in church, right? If I don't feel entertained, if I don't feel inspired, if I don't feel like that was the greatest thing ever, well, no big deal, I just check out and go to the next place. Or I just check out and do my own, own thing at home. This idea of consistency is so much a part of what it means to be motivated and encouraged to continue living out your faith, to continue living out this Christian life. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who is a theologian and Bible translator, he describes the he describes the Christian life in this way, and it's probably one of my favorite definitions of the Christian life. He says it's a long obedience in the same direction. Living the Christian life 
is a long obedience in the same direction. It's putting one foot in front of the other, saying, I'm gonna continue to pick up my cross, I'm gonna continue to walk with the Lord. It may not be very fast, it may not be very fancy, but I know what direction I'm supposed to be going, and I'm gonna continue going in that direction. We need this consistency, and if we're not careful, we live in a world where we're so much up and down. Everything's either really great or it's really bad, and then it's really great, and I'm back on board, and then it goes really bad, and now I'm not on board. This consistency that says, nope, I'm gonna stick with this. I need the encouragement to keep going. The question is, are we a church that motivates and encourages people to continue to live out their faith? That's a little bit of a hard question to answer just on the surface corporately, so let's turn it individually or internally. Am I the type of person that encourages and motivates someone else to continue with their Christian life? How do you do this? Well, at the risk of sounding overly simple or speaking down to you, which I don't mean to do at all in this situation, I wanted to give you some ideas for how, when we meet together, you are able to motivate and encourage one another. The first thing is, and remember, (laughs) Remember, this is coming from the guy who sides with the introverts and the loners. So take all of this and and, and funnel it through that. Remember, that's the perspective I come from, so I'm fighting myself here. Number one, remember some of the most important worship happens before 10.30 and after 11.45. We do our very best to be respectful of families and most of all respectful of preschool volunteers, and we try to go straight from 10.30 to around as close as we can get to 11.45. The most important things, I would go so far as to say, some of the most important worship, some of the most important things that happen on Sunday morning happen before 10.30 and after 11.45. When you're encouraging one another, when you're sharing with one another, when you're saying you can do it, parenting doesn't last in that season of life forever. People in my season of life need other people to walk up and say you won't always be right where you are right now. When you get to know someone well enough that you can check in on them, when you can check in on their family, when you can check in on their job situation, when you can have those conversations, it's really difficult to truly worship as a church family if we can find that to 1031 to 11.44 a.m. It's almost impossible to engage in true Christian worship if that's all we think about it as. We need what happens before and what happens after. Number two, I know it's about to get awkward, so hang tight with me here. Greet one another and sit close to one another. One of the things that helps to form those relationships is just the fact that you know people well enough and we realize we're terrible with names, every one of us in, included. It's coming up fairly close to my birthday, so I'm going to give myself a personal birthday present, which means I get a complete restart on everybody's name at Emmaus over the next month. So some of you I recognize perfectly well, and I just can't come up with your name at, at the moment. So I've, I'm going to give myself the birthday present of a complete restart on, on everybody's name. But we want to be able to greet one another. In a room like this, which is a great room for watching, it's a pretty tough room to be able to sit close to one another at times and to form those connections. And so you have to be intentional about it. You have to say, you know what, I'm going to make 
Uh, I'm going to consider, I'm going to make it something I do on purpose to sit with people and really get to know them. Number three, minister to the people in your area. Help them, encourage them, support them, especially if they have kids. Emmaus does a good job about this, so this isn't something I'm particularly concerned about, but hear me out on this next part. If a family comes in with multiple young kids, roll out the red carpet, don't roll your eyes. Go to that person, care for them, bow at the feet of that mother and then take her back and help her get to her seat. Care for the people, minister to the people who sit in your area, take them to lunch, learn about their life situation, tell them that you care about them, tell them that you're praying for their kids. It's just the idea that we want to, what happens in here is not just focused on the stage, even though I know the room is set up that way. Christian gathering, Christian worship is about what we do with one another, which takes us to number four. One of the ways that you can encourage the people around you is to be engaged. Uh, if I, given another opportunity, I probably would have written something different there because I don't literally mean get engaged, but if you sit close to one another and greet one another and you're not married, you might have a chance to get engaged. Uh, but, I, but I mean more, I mean be engaged in terms of read, open your Bible, be engaged in what's happening on stage. Dads, this is huge for your kids. They pick up really quickly about whether or not you're really engaged with what's going on. People around us in worship watch to see how we respond. So when I was in high school, back up, when I was in junior high, we had a guy at our high school who attended our church, and this guy's name was Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson was the greatest athlete that ever went through our little bitty town. Uh, he went on and played college sports. He was the only reason that a major league baseball scout ever found their way to our little middle of nowhere town. But Mike Wilson sat with the youth in the middle part of, of our worship center. We had maybe 125, 150 people at, at the church I grew up in. And I sat with my parents off to the side. And I, I looked over one day and I had always clapped with my left hand on top. But Mike Wilson clapped with his right hand on top during church. Well, I looked over at my dad, and my dad clapped with his left hand on top, and Mike Wilson clapped with his right hand on top. Do you know which hand I clapped with on top after that in church? My right hand was on top, because that's what Mike Wilson did in worship. He was engaged as an athlete in high school who had national records, but when he came to church, he was engaged. You know who I was engaged on in church? I was engaged on Mike Wilson because I wanted to see what he did in church. I wanted to see how he was involved in worship, and that drove the way I responded. Teenagers, I know I've told you this before, but if you think that what you do in here doesn't matter, it matters a lot to three people, I can guarantee you. And those three people are my kids because they watch exactly how you're engaged in worship. They want to see that. They want to see what that looks like. Those of you who are here as senior adults, my family, me and my wife, we want to see what it looks like to live well. We want to see what it looks like to raise your kids. We want to see what it looks like to be faithful. Being engaged helps us as we think about what it looks like to live out the Christian life. Number five, this one you can take with a grain of salt because if I was an, as an introvert, this is really hard. But uh, mix and match seating in groups from time to time. You know, if you, I've, I've been here just long enough at 15 months that I kind of get an idea of where people sit. 
Those of you who hide in the lights of the stadium seating, it's a little harder to see if you're here every week, but I can vaguely kind of match out where people are located. But it's good just to be able to mix and match to say, you know what, I probably need to get some different people uh, involved in my life. I probably need to get to know some, some, some other folks. And so that's one of the ways that you can live this out. What in the world does this have to do with music, Owen? You go on and on and on about how we're supposed to care for one another. What does that have to do with music? Well, remember, they're supposed to motivate and encourage one another by gathering together regularly. What's one of the things that they did when they gathered together regularly? They sang. Our singing together is one of God's gifts to us of how we motivate and encourage one another. Music is able to do this in two different ways. I want you to see this in the book of Ephesians. So if you're in your phone, you're going to have to scroll up or find the table of contents. If you're in your Bible, go back to the left. Go back to the left from Hebrews. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. These verses that we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 5 are repeated in fairly similar language in Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to kind of read a different version of this that Paul had, he puts it in different words in Colossians chapter 3. But we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 for the next couple of minutes. Ephesians chapter 5, and these verses will be up on the screen as well if you don't have a copy in front of you. Starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then continuing in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then 20 and 21 say, giving thanks always, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you see in these verses, you've got this idea that's very similar to the book of Proverbs that we looked at uh, last year, what it looks like to live a wise life versus a foolish life. So there's a strong contrast that's set up here. Don't get drunk with wine because that will waste your life It'll become a debauchery. It'll become a waste. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. When you combine the subjects, church music and filled in the Spirit, if you've spent very much time around religious places, there's a particular image that comes into your mind of what church music and filled with the Spirit looks like. Filled with the Spirit, though, that language in the New Testament is not about some special, second, ecstatic feeling of the Spirit. It's about your life being given over to the control of the Holy Spirit. It's about the fruit of the Spirit working itself out in your life. And so when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we talk about our lives being under control of the Holy Spirit, that He fills us up, He transforms the way that we live. And one of the ways that works itself out is through music. So point number one on your second half of your notes is that singing or music is a great weapon to fight sin and apathy. The things that come into our life, those sins, those temptations, or that apathy. uh, Elementary kids, if you don't know apathy, it's a word like, I just don't care. 
laziness, uh, probably I don't care is the best, the best way to explain apathy, but it's the idea of how do we fight against that? Well, one of God's gifts to us to fight against that is seening, and not just any type of seening, but it's seening together. Listen to this quote from a man named Tony Ranke. Tony Ranke has a quote about seening where he says, seening is a potent life skill. Even the world knows that seening True heart-engaged seening releases oxytocin into the body, a hormone that helps to alleviate anxiety and stress while boosting your immune system, your mood, and serving as an ally in the fight against cancer. But even more importantly, seening releases a spiritual affection that breaks apart the cancer of our most ingrained sinful habits. One of the seasons for marriage for Amanda and I we were going through a time where things were just hard. Sometimes in marriage, you really don't know how to sum things up. Other than it was just a hard season. And we were talking about it, and one of the things that we noticed is that music had kind of disappeared from our house. We weren't playing music. It wasn't something that we were talking about. It wasn't something we were listening to. The music had died. <laughs> you know the song, The Day the Music Died? If you find yourself in a situation that you feel depressed, you feel down, you feel things are kind of weird at home, maybe that's something to pay attention to because music is one of those gifts that God gives us to fight against temptation, to fight against sin. If you are in a hard time in life spiritually, don't think I have to stop singing worship songs. Think I have to start singing worship songs because those songs are one of God's gifts to you to battle against those temptations, to battle against those sins, to say, I'm gonna fight for holiness, I'm gonna fight for the will of the Lord in this situation. But we don't have to do that individually, and that takes us to point number two on our notes. So seeing is a great weapon to fight sin and apathy, specifically seeing to and with one another. There in Ephesians 5 it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't get too caught up on those words there, those descriptions of the types of psalms. Really what it points to primarily is variety. The idea that the people are singing a variety of psalms. The, the old argument for hymns only really struggles with this verse right here. Uh, the idea that you would only sing one type of music or one type of song. Variety is, is right here. Funny enough, um, and you see this playing itself out in different ways, the so-called contemporary churches, which I guess Emmaus lives somewhere in that gray middle, but the so-called contemporary churches that people go to for contemporary music Notice two things about churches, and if this is the type of church you attend, this is a good thing to, to think about. But the contemporary churches, two things about those churches. Number one, they're usually not as contemporary as, as you may think. Uh, our version of contemporary music is usually about five years in the past. If you talk to the teenagers and you have them play some of the top 40 songs that are actually playable because of lyrics, you're gonna hear a type of music that is going to blow you away. It's not going to sound like contemporary church music. <laughs> contemporary church music lives in an era that's already gone by when you think about most music in the world. Chris Tomlin is not Lecrae, is the best way I know to say that. 
there is a type of music that feels really contemporary to us that's not contemporary to the next generation. Number two, just because a church is contemporary doesn't mean that they're good at change. This is a, this is a kind of a misunderstanding that happens sometimes. You take the most contemporary, progressively music church out there, and you walk in the next week and say, hey, we're going to change the music style, they're not going to do any better than you guys are going to do, okay? Uh, just because your church sings contemporary music doesn't mean all of a sudden we're super open to change. Most of us like the music of the church that we were saved in. Whatever we find comfortable, whatever we remember as this was transforming in my life, or maybe a spiritual time in your life that your life really took off in your walk with the Lord, that's what we connect with musically. What these words point to right here is they point to the fact that we need variety. We need to sing different types of songs together because of the way that it brings us together. But this is really shocking because if you look at this in verse 19, it says you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What this means is that when we sing in church, there are two audiences. You are singing to God, and you are also singing to one another. And if you have a voice like mine, a vocal voice like mine, that's a really disturbing thought to think that I am singing to those around me. But it's true. When Scripturally, when you sing together in worship, you're not only singing to God, you're singing to one another because of the way that it brings us together. When I was in youth group, sometimes when we would meet together on Wednesday night to have our, our midweek youth worship, the person leading the songs would say something like, draw a circle around yourself and pretend that nobody else is in the room and it's just you and God. Well, that's not the worst thing ever, but it's not great either. Usually in youth group, you're doing that because you're trying to get people to stop touching each other or holding hands or looking around, so you're trying to, say, draw a circle around yourself. It's really bad theologically and biblically, though, because Scripture says that when you've seen, you're supposed to know that there are other people in the room. And if we're not careful, if seeing just becomes me, the people on the stage, and God— I've lost the purpose of New Testament musical worship, that I'm supposed to sing to one another. One of the ways this plays itself out, and, and I don't want to press this too far, but one of the ways that it plays itself out is the lighting in a room. Personally, I could prefer a little bit lower lighting, maybe make it a little darker, it kind of helps with the atmosphere, but the problem with making it too dark in a room that's designed for corporate worship is that you no longer see or think about the people that you're supposed to be singing to. It disconnects you from the congregation, and Scripture is very clear in the New Testament that when we sing to God, we're also singing to one another. So one of the reasons we keep the lighting up just a little bit in the room is to remind us we're in this together. We need one another. Music brings us together. If you attend a concert, and a concert is not the same as corporate worship, but if you attend a concert, you feel connected to those people who are there. Uh, the first, one of the first Sundays, actually the first Sunday that my family ever came to Emmaus uh, was the summer before we actually came in view of a call, but that summer, we came up here on a trip to Oklahoma, and we had been talking to the search committee just a little bit, and we were supposed to come in undercover, but we ran into somebody we knew, so we blew our cover uh, that, that morning. 
But we sit down in right over this direction, and we sat down by Miss Irma. I don't know if Miss Irma's here this morning, one of our, one of our older ladies. We sat down by Miss Irma, and David had everybody uh, stand to start singing, and it was a contemporary song. I knew at that moment, Miss Irma didn't know that song. She probably didn't like that song. She probably didn't want to be singing that song. But what I remember that morning is I stood next to Miss Irma, a lady I had no idea who she was, and she sang with gusto that contemporary song. And I remember thinking, that is incredible. Here's a lady, doesn't know the song, doesn't like the song, probably wants to sing a different song, but she is engaged. She is engaged in what's happening when this people is gathered together for worship. And when we gather together and we sing together, it motivates us, it encourages us, it helps us to fight sin and apathy, and it draws our lives together so that we are ready to be the people that God has called us to be. I want us to be that type of church. How do we do that? We do it day after day, week after week, as we continue in this long obedience in the same direction. We wanna be a people who worship the Lord, but we worship him together. As we come to the time, end of our time together this morning, I wanna pray over us, and then we're gonna stand up, and we're gonna sing a song together, if you're here and you're thinking, you know what, I've really never given much thought to singing, I haven't really given much thought to my spiritual life, I'm facing temptation, I'm facing apathy, this is the time to repent and to turn back to the Lord. If you have questions about the good news of Jesus, we want to be able to meet with you and talk with you about those things. However God is working in your life though this morning, Use this time as a response to him. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna sing that song together here in a moment. Father, thank you for these verses that we've looked at this morning. The concepts can seem really simple. The idea that we're supposed to encourage one another and motivate one another and not stop meeting together and seeing together. But God, if we're not careful, the world we live in eats away at all those things. We go to church expecting a concert. If it doesn't meet our needs, we go somewhere else. We think it's all about us. God, we're fighting against those things. And by your spirit, help us to do that together. God, thank you for the people in this church family who encourage me, who motivate me. Help us to do that for one another. God, I pray for those here this morning who are fighting temptation, who are fighting apathy, who are right up the, against the edge of saying, you know what, I'm done with this, I don't care, it doesn't matter. God, would you use this time of worship this morning to remind them of your love and remind them of your presence. God, that you would soften our hearts toward you and toward one another. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.